0: Hello, I am Philip Kennedy. Thank you for downloading this podcast to the NYU Abu Dhabi Institute. We hope you enjoy listening to this. For more information about our programs, please visit www.nyuad.nyu.edu.
1: Good evening, everyone. <coughs> it's wonderful to be back in Abu Dhabi after actually seven years. And this is the first time I've set foot on on this campus, having been to the old one several times. So uh, it's a great thrill to be back and especially to see the amazing ways that the Arts Center and specifically the music program has grown in in so many wonderful directions. So uh, again, I'm deeply honored to be here. Um, We're going to begin by asking this question, which is, what does instrumental music mean and who says so. Uh, But we're really going to begin with sound because the first thing you're going to hear, other than these brief words from me, uh, is a piece written by Gideon Klein, a then a a young Czech composer, 24 years old, written in in 1944. Uh, It's got three movements, uh, really fast, slow, fast, which is Going to be a little bit like this evening because instead of a lecture recital, it's going to be a recital lecture recital. Uh, But the first thing you're going to hear are these wonderful musicians playing Gideon Klein's Trio for Strings. Thank you. I'd say let's begin at the beginning, but let's begin in the middle. So here we are. Uh, you may have noticed, just about in the middle of the very middle of this piece, there's a cello solo. Comes rather unexpectedly. It's the only real extended solo of any length. Kind of interrupts the proceedings and. Uh, I've put the manuscript up just for your curiosity, but of course uh even those uh, who can't read music can can notice that under the cello part is written some instructions uh, with great expression, uh, as if improvised, quasi improvisato, senza rigore without strictness. Uh quite a lot of of, of marking for it. And you may also notice that it's it's marked. Uh, forte, um, but also with mute. Um, So why don't we begin just by, by hearing that again. question is, what's that doing there? Uh, what does it mean? And the answer, of course, is, I don't know. But we're going to try to find out a little bit about w- what it's doing there and what kind of, of thing it could mean. Because it comes as a little bit of an interruption. Uh, and you'll see it, that uh, this, you'll see the same con gran espressione and then consordino with a mute. Uh, and, and it comes out of the, the little choir of, uh, well small choir, of violin and viola, are, are going forward with a little line, and, and the cello kind of interrupts and cuts in. So let's hear that. You can see the, the, the this comes as an interruption. Uh, their line is moving up, and the cello is uh, too insistent. And I, I'm I'm always fascinated by interruptions uh, of all kinds, uh, but especially musical interruptions when 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 a theme seems to jump in too soon, or as if it's so impertinent to something it must say at the moment. Uh, and that this is an example. But th- this, of course, occurs in the middle. Of one of the variations, because you may have noted that the slow movement is a set of variations on a theme, and this comes in, in one of the middle variations, and, and, and this passage is in the middle of the middle. So let's hear that whole variation and notice the context in which the interruption takes place. <laughs> Have the, the interruption of the cello, sort of in, not only interrupting this little passage before it, but interrupting the whole movement, insisting on making some kind of, of statement. Um, and of course, this is again the fifth variation. And here's the, the first uh, theme. And you can see uh, second movement. And it says uh, variations on, uh, on a Moravian song. Um, and uh, here is the, the song itself. Uh, this is a, a version of it that was notated in, in 1918. And it's sung by a wonderful singer named uh, Dushan Hawley, who's an ethnographer, but started his career as a kind of boy wonder folk singer, uh, starting really in the, uh, in the 1930s, singing this music. He's now uh, about 87. But this is him singing this song in, in the style of the region, That's the tune. It's got a lot of nice touches. It's um, the Knezhdub Tower. Uh, It's got a little bit of of so-called word painting. (laughs) The Knezhdub Tower. It is very high, so high. And a bird. The bird flies around it. So the bird comes up and flies around it. and We have this nice leap in the middle. Uh, And, of course, you can see the text is one of those kind of rather typical uh, texts from the region about a wild goose and landing. And here's, actually, just for your viewing pleasure, the original tower of Knezdub uh, to which the, the bird flew up. And here's, here's another variant. It probably originally migrated east from Slovakia, so I'm just going to give you a tiny, tiny taste of a, of a Slovak version with a th- symbol on. <laughs> the Miav Tower is very high. Interchangeable so you have that in your ears, and now let's hear Klein's version—the uh, way that Klein has set this melody. Mm-hmm. immediately notice the difference between that free and rhapsodic rhythm that you hear in the recording and this kind of closed sound of uh, versus that kind of the original. And, you know, uh, I, I sort of asked them yesterday when we were talking about this, if they would try just for, for a kick to, to play the client the as if, if you were sort of imitating this folk sound. Maybe you could try that. <laughs> It's a much kind of freer style if you try to combine them. But Klein makes it pretty hard to do that because he does a couple of things. First of all, the, there's a question of key and musical key. And, and it, instead of sort of A minor with big open string sounds, you have C, it's in C sharp minor, a kind of darker sound, uh, the, the thickness of the sound. So you can probably see, uh, those of you who read music especially, that in the viola and, and cello part, say in the third measure, you know, they've got double stops, so it's almost like a, a quintet rather than a trio. Uh, you have a, a pedal point. Could you just play the bass line uh, of just the opening? <laughs> bass note is stuck on C sharp. It's it's not moving around. It's giving no sense of of release. So from the very beginning, I think a signal is sent. Hey hey, this is not some cute little variations on a on a sweet little Moravian folk song. You know, this is already like the first variation uh, on this theme. Um, and and this is borne out also by what happens at the end of the piece. Uh, if we could go to that last variation um, here on on the say, measure 135 or, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that much. So you can tell it's not like, you know, um, it begins dark, you know. And by the end, it's... Right, there's no, there's no release, there's no relief, there's no light variation at the end. and It, it is unremitting, unremittingly dark uh, in its character. And it, one of the rhythms that you'll notice, which is characteristic uh, of the region is, well, I guess you could call it poetically an anapest, but the pip ba 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 In Dvorak's day, they called it the Scotch snap. ba pa pa. But this is a kind of Moravian-style rhythm <clears throat> with this anapest, and I, I think that sort of by the end, uh, it almost sounds like it's turned around and become a funeral march. Now, this movement is surprising, especially when we consider the character of the outer movement. So let's just begin with that a little couple of measures at the beginning of the first movement. So, you know, when in 1943, Klein is writing stuff that sounds like this. Or not. Or not. Well, it sounds like this. You know, his piano sonata is this sort of, you know, so-called second Viennese school, Berg, Weber, and Schoenberg, filled with dissonance. And suddenly, you know, he's writing all this all this like folk music lydian style and so it's a, it's a, it's a huge change for him we'll talk about that and then let, let's look at the beginning the beginning of the last movement <laughs> So, uh, you know, we've got this kind of strange thing going on. We have this overmarked, interrupting cello solo, a theme and variations on a folk song that's not very folk-like and that, that ends up in some way rather tragically. Uh, and so how, how, do we, how do we think about that? Well, I think now it's necessary to, to think about the context in which this piece was written. So, this piece was written uh, in the Terezin ghetto or concentration camp in 1944. Uh, As some of you may know, it's actually in the shape of a a star. It was originally a military garrison built by Maria Theresa at the end of the 18th century. Uh, And um, it it was a convenient place for for keeping prisoners because it had walls all around it, and you could have something like a town but filled with prisoners. But the Nazis decided, uh, at first it was just for rather famous people who couldn't be disappeared too easily at the beginning of the war. But then they decided it would be an excellent propaganda tool as a way of advertising to the world that these people are just fine. All the bad things that you've heard about what we're doing, they're false. And and it was, in a sense, uh, well... A Potemkin village. Um, this is not Terezin, but this is a, an image of a Potemkin village, which is uh, supposedly created by uh, Catherine the Great's uh, Minister of State and lover uh, when he was supposed to have pacified various regions. And what he did was to, to set up fake facades. Uh, along the river so that when people went down the river, they would see what looked like thriving communities. And as soon as the boat passed, they would disassemble them and reassemble them further downriver. So uh, Terezin was a kind of Potemkin village. It had a facade of being a real village, but it was a place filled with... Uh, dark places, torture, and, of course, a place where, from which people were transported. Uh, And everyone lived in fear of the transports, because however bad it was in Terezin, they had an idea that where they were going might be worse. We don't know exactly what they knew, but they knew that it wouldn't be good. So uh, let me give you an example of the way some people in Terezin thought. So this is a picture that was made in Terezin, one of many pictures that was made by artists there, because many artists were employed to, to make landscape drawings, drawings of SS officers, but secretly at night, many of them, knowing that this was used as a propaganda tool, made secret drawings of what the place was really like. And this particularly intensified in 1943. When a beautification campaign began, because the Red Cross was going to pay a visit to Terezin in 1944 in June, and they wanted to make sure that it really, that the illusion, the fake illusion, worked perfectly. So they beautified the camp, and at various times they were making a propaganda film. And the propaganda film is a horror film because nothing in it is horrible. In other words, it's just happy people, kids playing soccer, uh, people giving lectures, concerts. But of course, all these people, uh, almost all of them that you see in the film were very quickly, as soon as the film was completed, uh, sent further east, a place from which most of them never returned. So here's an image, a secret image by a Terezin artist, Beji Fritta, called Film and Reality. And you can see... Uh, This idea that as makeup is applied, the reality behind the curtain uh, is is this upside-down skull, right? So you have, you know, uh, one kind of public art, and then you have the real thing. Well, music can't quite do that. But composers in Terezin began to find ways... Starting in the around 1943 to hide things. So, for example, this is a song by a composer named Pavel Haas. It's one of several Chinese poems that had been translated into Czech that he set, and this is talking about a particular evening. And you'll hear a a figure in the bass line. thinking of the moon of home you hear this ominous ominous four notes in the bass and then they come on top and I have particu- particularly in mind this passage at the end. That's a little quotation of this.
0: Svati
1: so, Svati vatslave is uh, what an ancient... Uh, 11th century Czech melody associated with King Wenceslas, not the Happy Christmas King Wenceslas, one of the darker ones. But still, he was considered the protector of the Czech people. And this is, in this particular place in the middle of the song, a kind of patriotic sound, a patriotic reference to to Wenceslas. Here's another example from a Pavel Haas song. Well, first example is from a piece by Pavel Haas's teacher, the great composer, Leos Janacek, who wrote a piece called The Diary of One Who Vanished in 1919 about a a good Czech boy who ends up running away with a romka, with a gypsy. Uh, And in this particular, this is the second song, he says to her, why are you sticking around here? Why are you sticking around? Why don't you go out into the world? Why don't you just go out? And this is what it sounds like.
0: Okay.
1: In one of his same Chinese song that you, you heard the beginning of, it's interrupted by a passage where the from describing the moon suddenly it's my hands my hands which are so empty this says everything and here's what that sounds like so janacek So Haas is sort of borrowing a line from his teacher, Janáček, but I think quite movingly, at just the moment where the character in the song says, my hands, my hands are too empty to say anything, he quotes the line, why are you staying here? Why are you sitting here? Why are you stuck here in Terezin? So it's a way of creating double texts. Uh, Victor Ullman, another important composer who was in Terezín, wrote a theme and variations on this melody. <laughs> and in the, in the middle, there's a fugue, and in the middle of the fugue, uh, there are some strange guests who show up. One of them is, is Bach, shows up because there if you take the musical notes b a c well in germany b natural is h you get the name of bach literally so you have a series of things that show up in, in suddenly in, in this piece and here's what it sounds like or not the bass so here's this Czech chorale here um, famously used by Smetna and others Uh, and in addition you have the little song but it's also a, a quote from the Slovak National Anthem So he has the Slovak anthem, uh, a Hebrew folk song, Bach shows up, a German chorale, and a Czech medieval song all together. Uh, it reminded me a little bit of this passage, famous one. This is the double canon quadlibet, famously the coda of Mozart's Jupiter Symphony. And it seems as if Ullmann has all these balls in the air. Now, we don't know exactly what it means... Um, It it could mean anything from a patriotic statement that German culture survives no matter what's being done to it. That's why Bach enters. Or it could simply mean that all these Czechs and Germans and everybody else are cheek by jowl running up against each other in Terezin. But again, there are all these kinds of hidden things in these pieces uh, uh, throughout. So let's go back to our beginning here uh, and to ask, well, what about this piece? Why did he choose it? And again, the answer is... We don't know, as you are probably aware. If somebody decides to put secret somewhere, they don't usually have an arrow saying secret here, and here's why. So you can always worry about whether you're overinterpreting some of these pieces. Although, uh, well, you'll you'll be the judge. So here we have this little folk song. If you take a look at the text, um, the Knessetub Tower is high. A goose landed, and it's a wild goose, huska divoka, which in both ninth century China and in Moravia, the wild goose is is a symbol of freedom. So the wild goose lands on the tower, flies around it, and then suddenly the text changes rather strangely to a kind of imperative. Go get your gun, Johnny. Aim at the tower. And then he shoots the goose. He shoots it twice and you've betrayed your beloved. So we have a kind of enigmatic text, but it's filled with images of of a loss of freedom and towers and violence uh, in a way that might have appealed to him. So let's go to the first variation. Could we start with that? Uh, Because the first variation is odd. Remember, what happens in a variation, right, is that, you know, you have your tune... (laughs) And then you have your second variation, you know. And your third variation. So it's recognizable you, you, that the, some elements of the tune are usually taken at least into the first variation. Listen to what happens here. <laughs> No, no, uh, no, no pits. Uh, no, we're the first variation here. Ah, oh, the first. That give us the bar piece. Uh, be sure. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> would be a little sorry. Where
0: we have this duo? Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, ten, yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. bar uh, ten, you say. Where then Oh, yeah. Eleven, actually, yeah. It's
0: eleven, yeah you.
1: have noticed that but for the first can you play just like the first three measures of the cello part of that Mm -hmm. that's from the tune the rhythm but then it continues just the next measure too the The tune disappears, just absolutely disappears, and could you play the last two measures of it so that 's measures twenty one twenty two uh right right so instead of doing what it 's supposed to do, which is you know right it ends it goes it goes up instead which is which is odd and I think that's a quote from, from the end of this piece. This is a piece that was played quite a bit in Terezin. It's, it's a famous piece by Gustav Mahler called Kindertoten uh Songs of Dead Children. and And again, here we have this
0: uh, and
1: the end of the the Klein you know, sort of quoting Mahler in several places, not only that, what happens in this in this particular variation is a canon where the instruments follow each other, and there 's a canon in Mahler as well, so. You know whether he's just quoting it to get a kind of Mahler atmosphere, or or whether this is his way of saying, "Don't be fooled. There are dead children in this place." is, is difficult to know. There's another quote, and this one is in the third movement. So let's go like measure one twenty-five or so in the third movement, uh, where. Something strange happens. It, it's it's basically been in a kind of a duple time, and suddenly the the meter changes, and you get measures of five eight, and then one of six eight. So let's yeah, let's start at uh, one. Yeah, what is that? One twenty
0: 120,
1: yeah, right. five. One twenty six. One twenty six. Yeah, one twenty six. Right. And let's just play, what, uh, measure 128. Well, maybe just the violin part in in 128. Sorry. (laughs) Right. So that's kind of a conspicuous change. It sort of comes out of nowhere, and I'm pretty convinced that it's from here. Well, that's a French horn playing the vocal part, but it's the famous song by Schubert, one of his most famous Gretchen at the spinning wheel, uh, you know my heart is heavy, so again, we're, we begin to ask it 's very clear to us that instrumental music can 't speak it doesn 't have words it can 't tell you to go to the store, but sometimes, in some places, instrumental music can acquire a secondary text by quoting a song or quoting a fragment, referring to Moravian song about shooting the goose and and here again uh talking about this, and here's the similarity between the passages uh, of these two. Um, we have a little quote from, from I think, Ravel's Tombeau de Couperin, the same movement uh, as this uh, measure. Let's see. Oh, 184, what is it? 584, 3, two, one, maybe 179. Great, yeah, so you have those trills, which I think come from another one of Klein's favorite pieces. Tambo de Cupera, uh of Rebel. So we, there's a pattern of quoting all these different kinds of pieces. Now, one of the most exciting places, I think, in, in the whole composition for me uh, is this Piumoso uh, just before the last variation. Um, so let's see, what measure are we at? Uh, 125. Yeah, 125. Yeah, the Piumoso. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. So that it it goes right into the last variation with these unison, uh, you know, 16th note unison. And I I think that comes from uh, a piece that was one of the most famous pieces in Terezin, a well-known piece to all these composers, because Klein had studied briefly with the composer. This is Josef Suk, whose grandson was a famous violinist, and Josef Suk himself was Dvorak's son-in-law. His wife, Otilka, died almost at the same time Dvořák died, at the turn of the century. And he wrote a series of rather dark pieces, the darkest of which is the Azrael Symphony, Azrael, the Angel of Death. And when he introduces a most forceful statement of the appearance of the Angel of Death, it uses, well, you can hear how he does it. So when Klein does this, sure, he could just simply be an omaggio to his teacher, Yosef Suk. But more likely in this context, he's heading into this fin- final moment of the piece where the theme is going to reappear. And it's my strong sense the theme appears as that very angel of death. Um, but let's go back to <clears throat> our our variation, the Andante Mesto, the fifth variation, the one with the cello solo, and let's just hear the beginning of that again. Okay, yeah, that, that is a, a kind of powerful moment, and I think the source of it is, is this. Has, and this is the softest one of example of all. is from Verdi's Requiem, The Mass for the Dead. So uh, what, am I just pulling these things out of a hat? I mean, sort of the Verdi Requiem, is, it's, not that, it's not that unusual of, of, of a musical motive. Well, it, the Verdi Requiem played a very important role in Terezin. There were famous performances of it, debates whether Jewish prisoners should be performing this Catholic Requiem, uh, but the prisoners performed it with great joy and fervor and sitting at the piano was none other than our friend Gideon Klein, who accompanied all the rehearsals, knew the score inside out. And I think in particular, he might have been thinking of the libera may the fugue from the libera me. And uh, now, libera may is, is a kind of fascinating passage. So libera me domine. So here's the the, the bit from the trio and here, so here's what it sounds like. This is the loudest bit, so maybe we could turn it down just a touch. So this is Liberame Domine de morte eterna. Uh, Deliver me, O Lord, from death eternal. So again. Um, Why would Klein be thinking about things like this? Well, when he began the peace at the end of August 1944, things were fairly quiet in Terezin. But the German high command had decided pretty much to liquidate the camp and were planning a series of transports to Auschwitz that were going to take place uh, literally at the end of September on the High Holy Days. And it was going to be a statement. So Klein was in this atmosphere where while he was composing this piece, these transports were being assembled. And again, we don't know what they knew about those places. We know about those places. We don't know what they knew because in certain ways Terezin was a black hole. But, but, but they knew. Uh, and uh, so there's even, even a moment um, in, in the first movement so let's let's look at this moment here. Uh, so what 65, 64, 63, 63 62, 61. Uh, measure 61 in the first movement. Pee-pot, all That the Lydian, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so we have, we have this little folk song kind of thing, and it's kind of interrupted by this thing. It says, play on the G string, and then another kind of instruction. So what, what does that mean to you as a player when you see con massimo? It's not just like... So why don't, you go, why don't we go through it for them? When you see espressivo, what, 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 do, what does that make you do? Anything? vibrato, for sure. More vibrato, yes. so distorted in some way, right? Uh, more yeah. More
0: intensity.
1: In okay. The sound. So when you see con massimo, I mean, what are you supposed to do? Like break the strings or smash the fiddle, right? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's it's an odd instruction to have right in the middle of this. And could you just play the cello part in that? Just the bass, you know? Just those. Suddenly. And then the, the double stops, the, the C, and, you know. The, the, this you yeah, uh, the, uh, the same one. Yeah, the so same that. passage that we played, right.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. And then suddenly we get these double stops in the cello. We get uh, open fifths that are exactly what happens at the very end of the variation set. So my, my thought is that, that he actually had finished the first movement and when these transporters started, he actually inserted these movements, which are a kind of a foreshadowing of of the last movement itself. so so here again, this is this bit is the interruption in the in the first movement and and it's analog in the in the second movement. So uh, we have all these things. so let's let's go back again uh, to this cello solo. Um, and let's, let's try to figure out what it could be saying or, or maybe why we can't know. Um, about a year before he wrote this piece, Klein wrote this madrigal based on the poetry of Herdelin And in, in particular, he paid attention to this really... Dreary passage, I am nothing and no longer wish to live and checks a check Czech, ujne Ne And here's what it sounds like. <laughs> Okay, so you know sorry. So we sort of know what it means, right? We have this little chorus, and they sort of stop on the word neirad, which means uh, you know, I am unhappy, tarijio neirad, I don't wish to live. And at the end of that, there's a solo line that says, Oh, I say the same words, but oh ta 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 ti ta ta da ta So, you know, we get the sense, right, that that the words and 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 the the music go together and we, we know what it means. But notice that this <laughs> these two this though is this exact same thing that happens uh, in that variation. So uh, so we have this Nerod... And that's picked up can you pick guys pick that up right before it's the second thing we played right before the cello solo in the in that uh, fifth variation I think it's like 83 and 83. 83? Mm-hmm. yeah beat on beat on beat on when you guys have your your you have your thirds the d the right? the same thing it's the same thing that he's doing which is but the nerod uh, i'm nothing or uh, you know is extended beat up beat up beat and that's that's when the cello comes in right so we know what the voice is saying the voice is saying i'm nothing uh, but we don't know what the cello's saying because it's a cello and it doesn't have words but we can imagine can't we that it might be saying well it's saying something different because the line's different but it's saying something and we can also imagine that just as the cello might be saying something real, um, the part with the text might be abstract as well. So, so they're not, it's not as simple as we, as we think. So again, here we have this cello solo again, um, and it's really a, a kind of an amazing bit. And there's also this Could you play um, that same thing again and continue? Because there is a kind of Greek chorus which the the violin and viola are are going on about, which I think is also revealing. Um. Okay, that much. Okay, so that that is a, a quotation from Leoš Janáček's second string quartet, the famous Intimate Letters String Quartet that he wrote. So it's a kind of message of love in a way similar to, to the nature of the song itself. Um, let's go to the beginning of that variation once more. Uh bi Okay. Well, that's fine. So I think that is the Verdi Requiem. The Verdi Requiem, but the chords are are funny. It's almost like it's almost there's almost like Thelonious Monk or something, you know. You know, bluesy chords. And Klein was like many of his generation involved with jazz and blues. Wrote several pieces called blues. So, so in a, in a way, there, there's. Uh, there's a way of thinking about it. I don't know if, if, if you feel like you could play it that way, but you know, w- what if the cello solo were kind of like a jazz saxophone solo? <laughs> Give it a shot. You know, what do you have to lose? Got the got to my <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: no, no.
1: yeah something you know it, so it's a beep ba ba beep up you know <laughs> so so there's another possibility for how he's thinking of it in this kind of bluesy and, and jazzy way uh let's go forward from this we don't need this so here's the the last bit so let's go like eight measures from the end um yeah No, uh, 14 measures from the end. Let's take that. Um,
0: yeah,
1: no. From uh, at the end of the third movement. Oh. Uh, Sorry, it's, where, it's where you have the double stop. Let's see, 4-8. Okay. One, how much? 4-8 now? 18, oh. seven, eight, eight, eight. Sorry. <laughs> we can Five, do uh, one,
0: 185. 95? Nine, six. 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 I think it's 180. 196. Yeah. 4-8. No, 4-8. Four eight. Four eight.
1: Okay. And do me a favor, play the double-stop octaves in, in the violins, the one starting on E. That is, I think, a quote of another kind from another piece by Josef Suk that had become very famous, written for the 1936 Olympics. It was called Towards a New Life. Those famous notes that all Czechs played in four-hand versions. And, and this is the, an eerie thought, because the last movement is marked Burlesca. And the last movement was written just as the transports to the east were carried out. And so, you know, there's an old Russian dark proverb, uh, something like, um, if we're going, let's go, said the parrot as the cat dragged it down the stairs. Uh, And there's there's an element to quoting this positive Czech song towards a new life as he knows he's going uh, to a very dark place and ending with a little quotation from this. So just for your schematic pleasure or not, um, so this is what the piece kind of looks like. You have these very short outer movements, you've got this long middle movement, you've got this variation, and in the middle of the middle of the middle you have this cello solo, and we don't know what it means. We think it must mean everything, and we think maybe the piece could have been written around it. Uh, So it goes forward from beginning to end, but it also goes out from this middle uh, in in ways that that are quite astonishing. So just quickly, um, this is Gideon Klein, a picture made of Gideon Klein in 1943 uh, in the camp. Uh, Gideon Klein, nine days after finishing this composition, was put on a transport to Auschwitz. Uh, he was not selected to be killed immediately. He was sent to another camp called Furstengrube. Uh, this is the way Furstengrube looked uh, maybe in, in the early 50s, and this is how we found it today. Uh, and uh, he was in Furstengrube, seemingly surviving, sent some letters from there. From what we know, we don't know exactly what happened to him, but we, we think that in... Early January 1945, the camp was liberated by the Red Army, that Klein and his fellow prisoners uh, enjoyed their freedom for a few hours until a, another group of SS came and apparently killed everybody who was remaining in the camp, and that was the end of Gideon Klein, and uh, I'll just show this picture, this is a picture made much later in 1944 by Petra Keane one of the great painters in the camp, uh, that shows a kind of different Klein, and so I'll end with uh, two questions, the first is, are there limits of music expression and the second question is, won't you play it again? Thank you. Thank you.